Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I started out looking at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and we're right in the middle of every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, but we took a break from that, because an election was called. So right now I'm doing 36 election episodes in a row, to coincide with our 36-day election period. If you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these full-time. The writing, the research, everything. I do it every day, all day. And it's a lot of work. So, any dollars you give help keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Following the 2008 federal election, the Conservatives remained in power with a minority government. The government would almost fall twice, but Prime Minister Stephen Harper would prorogue Parliament in December in 2008 to end an attempted opposition coalition, and then in 2009 he would once again prorogue Parliament. Peter Milliken, the Speaker of the House of Commons, ruled that Minister Bev Oda and the Cabinet itself could be found in contempt of Parliament for refusing to meet opposition requests for details on proposed bills and the cost estimates. A committee found on March 21, 2011, that the government was in contempt of Parliament. This was the first time in Canadian history that the government was found to be in contempt. On March 25, 2011, Michael Ignatieff, the new leader of the Liberal Party, proposed a motion of no confidence declaring that the government was in contempt of Parliament, and the House of Commons voted on the motion that same day. The government would fall on a vote of 156 to 145. This would be Canada's fourth election in seven years. Harper would say of the situation, quote, Unfortunately, Mr. Ignatieff and his coalition partners in the NDP and the Bloc Québécois made abundantly clear that they had already decided they wanted to force an election instead, Canada's fourth election in seven years, an election Canadians had told them clearly they do not want, end quote. Soon after the election began, the Conservatives were already polling well, sitting at 43% among voters, while the Liberals were at 24% and the NDP sat at 16%. The top issue for the election would once again be health care, with 18% of respondents feeling that it was the most important issue, while the economy, taxes and jobs also rated highly. The Conservatives would campaign on the slogan of Here for Canada, while the Liberals used Rise Up Canada and Change We Need from a proven team. Harper, during the campaign, would promise to reintroduce internet surveillance legislation, scrap the long gun registry, eliminate the deficit by 2014-15, cut corporate taxes, and Senate reform without changing the Constitution. The Liberals would campaign on raising the corporate tax rate, claiming it needed to be competitive, a learning passport for high school students seeking post-secondary education, and net neutrality. They would also pledge $500 million towards creating childcare spaces. The NDP would have an expansive platform that promised to cap credit card rates, ban all forms of usage-based billing by internet service providers, a doubling of the canned pension plan benefits, a $4,500 job creation tax credit to all businesses per new hire, hiring 2,500 more police officers to patrol the streets, and a $30 billion spending platform and a promise to balance the budget in four years. 
On March 29th, the Consortium of Broadcasters announced that it would invite the leaders of the four recognized parties in the House of Commons for a debate, excluding the Green Party. The debate would be held on April 13th in order to prevent any broadcast conflicts with the NHL playoffs scheduled for April 14th. Harper would challenge Ignatieff to a one-on-one debate on March 30th, which was supported by Ignatieff, but opposed by the other parties. Ignatieff would state, quote, anytime, anyplace, end quote. The debate was subsequently cancelled. Harper would state, quote, We said this was the network's decision. We're not interested in doing multiple debates. We're going to spend the rest of our time campaigning across the country. End quote. Two days later, on April 1st, Rick Mercer suggested a one-on-one debate between Harper and Ignatieff, stating he would donate $50,000 to the charities of their choosing if they would participate. Ignatieff agreed, but Harper did not respond to the challenge. In the April 12th debate, Ignatieff would attack Harper on several fronts including democracy, secrecy and control of parliament, while Harper would argue that his opponents, through bringing down the government, were political opportunists. Well, it was everything a political debate usually is. Spirited, even antagonistic at times. But there was lots of substance too. A new format meant more chance for one-on-one time. But throughout it was often three-on-one as Stephen Harper faced a barrage of attacks from the other three leaders. Our senior correspondent, Terry Malefsky, takes us through the highlights of the night. Terry. Well, Peter, there was only one rookie in this debate, Michael Ignatieff, but you'd never know it. All four gave as good as they got, and the format let them. The rules of the debate allowed each leader some one-on-one time with each of the others, all kicked off by questions from voters. How can the Conservative Party justify a $6 billion tax cut to corporations? The first question challenged Stephen Harper on taxes. Well, first of all, there are no corporate tax reductions in our current budget. But the most experienced debater, Gilles Decep, quickly changed the subject. I would first like to uh, congratulate Mr. Harper for answering a question from a citizen for the first time in this campaign. Decep tried to put Harper on the defensive over spending on last year's summits. Will you release that report? Every single dollar is accounted for and all those public, all those projects have been publicly disclosed. The Liberal leader seized on the same issue. This wasn't stimulus. This was just scattering money around to build gazebos and fake lakes. And Canadians don't have confidence in your management of the economy because you waste public money. You're citing a report that the Auditor General's office said should not be relied upon. In the second round, Jack Layton found a way to attack both Harper and Ignatieff on corporate tax cuts. You did get it through with the support of Mr. Ignatieff, who now, by the way, pretends to oppose the things he voted for. But Ignatieff preferred to turn his fire on Harper. We're having an election because you couldn't tell the truth to the Parliament of Canada about the money you're going to spend on jets, jails, and corporate tax giveaways. All of the opposition leaders made an issue of the soaring cost of the new F-35 fighters, but Harper stood his ground. We will not be spending a dime on these jets for at least five years, and then we'll be buying them for a period of over 20 years. Mr. Ignatieff wants you to believe, and the other party's leader wants you to believe, that somehow by cancelling a jet purchase five or ten years down the road, they can finance election promises today. When the question of foreign affairs came up, Ignatieff led off the debate. Mr. Harper has betrayed our democracy at, at home, and I don't think he can stand up for a democracy and freedom abroad. 
We should be bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. But the debate quickly reverted to the still unreleased Auditor General's report on summit spending. Let's have her final report released. Will you go along well, with it? Well, uh, Mr. Layton, the... Well, then bring it out. Bring it out. Well, release all, it. It's, it's the Auditor what you, General's what report. We encourage the Auditor General to release that report. We're having an election because you didn't tell Parliament the truth. Eventually, they did get back to the question, foreign affairs. We're out there actually making a difference in the world. That's what Canadians expect of us. Another question led to a tense exchange about the possibility of a coalition government, with Ignatieff saying he's not interested in a coalition and Harper saying he needs a majority. Frank, I hope it is a majority, because otherwise, you look at the, the debate we're having today, you can see we will be into a fifth election in no time at all. And I'm worried that, quite frankly, this country at some point we're going to lose our focus on the economy. You haven't earned the right to a majority because you don't respect our democratic institutions. After the debate, 42% of viewers would state that Harper had won the debate, followed by 25% who said Jack Layton did. The debate attracted over 4 million viewers as well, a 26% increase over the 2008 election. The big story of this election, though, was the orange crush. On April 8th, the NDP were polling at 13.2%, but on April 16th, the party had reached 25% in the polls. The surge began in Quebec, with the NDP beginning to surpass the Bloc Québécois, and then surging throughout Canada. With the NDP suddenly surging ahead, the attacks of all the other parties turned towards the party in an effort to stem its sudden surge in popularity. There would be criticism of Harper in this campaign for running a bubble campaign. All photo ops were pre-planned, there was no walk in the street talking to regular Canadians, and everything was planned down to the smallest detail. Media were also limited to five questions per day on the campaign trail, and news conferences were not held. On April 9th, polls showed that the Conservatives had a commanding lead of 41%, while the Liberals had dipped to 26%, and the NDP were still rising at 19%. Two weeks later, on April 22nd, the Conservatives would be cruising to a majority government with 43%, while the NDP now sat at 24%. The Liberals, in contrast, fell to 21%. The estimate at the time was that the Conservatives would have 201 seats, the Liberals at 53 seats, and the New Democratic Party at 48 seats. If the Conservatives were to win over 200 seats, they'd become only the third party, all Conservative, to win over 200 seats. There would, of course, be controversies, quite a few of them, in fact. On the Liberal side of things, Quebec candidate Andre Forbes was discovered to have been a white supremacist activist who had made hate speech against Indigenous, the LGBTQ community, and Muslims, and he was immediately removed as a candidate. By far the biggest scandal was the robocall scandal, which came out after the election was over. In early 2012, Elections Canada and the RCMP investigated claims that robocalls were used to dissuade voters from casting their ballot, telling them their poll stations had changed location. Elections Canada would find telephone election fraud complaints in 247 of Canada's 308 ridings. In the end, it would be found that fraud had occurred in a Guelph riding, and voting irregularities were found in six other ridings. Michael Sona, a Conservative communications officer, would be charged and convicted over the matter. At a Conservative rally in London, Ontario, an RCMP officer asked two attendees to leave the event for supposed ties to the Liberal Party. One of the students stated that she had a picture of her and Michael Ignatieff on her Facebook profile. Ignatieff and Layton both criticized Harper over the matter. At another rally in Guelph, an environmental student was told her name had been flagged, and so she was not allowed into the event. She was told it was likely because of her affiliation with some environmental groups. A Green Party candidate, 
Alan Saldana, resigned over a sexual assault comment he made on Facebook. A Liberal campaign volunteer was caught on camera taking Green Party pamphlets out of mailboxes and throwing them in the garbage while replacing them with Liberal campaign materials. On April 29, 2011, only days before the election, a report surfaced that Jack Layton had been found naked in a massage parlor when police, looking for underage prostitutes, raided the establishment in 1996. No charges were laid and Layton said there was no wrongdoing as he had simply went for a massage at a community clinic and did not return after police advised him not to. Gilles Duceppe dismissed the claim as well, while Ignatieff and Harper would not comment on the report. Many people criticized the story as a blatant smear campaign against Layton due to the surging popularity of the NDP. A poll done after the story came out found that public opinion of Layton had gone from 80% to 97%, beating both Harper and Ignatieff. The polling company believed that this improvement was due to sympathy for Layton, feeling that he had been unfairly maligned. Olivia Chow, wife of Layton, would state, quote, 16 years ago, my husband went for a massage at a massage clinic that is registered with the City of Toronto. He exercises regularly. He was and remains in great shape, and he needed a massage. No one was more surprised than my husband when the police informed him of allegations of potential wrongdoing at the establishment. End quote. The same day the story broke, the Conservatives sat at 38%, while the NDP had 33%, and the Liberals had collapsed to 18%. With Twitter becoming a more important platform, Elections Canada announced it would apply a law from the 1930s to prevent election results from Atlantic Canada being posted on Twitter before polls closed on the rest of the country. The fine for breaking the law was upwards of $25,000. In the May 2, 2011 election, Stephen Harper and the Conservatives would increase their seat count by 23, finishing with 166, earning a majority government. This would be the first majority government for a Conservative Party since the 1988-1993 majority government of Brian Mulroney. Harper would say upon his majority win, quote, Because Canadians chose hope, we can now begin to come together again. For our part, we are intensely aware that we are, and we must be, the government of all Canadians, including those who did not vote for us. End quote. great night and friends I have to say it a strong stable national majority conservative government friends great things are only accomplished by many people by many people working together La politique est un sport Politics Politics is, is a team sport. sport. It's always what I've said, and it's true. For Lorene and I, there's one thing that has always been clear. We can always count on our home team, the Riding Association of Calgary Southwest. Even, even when we're not able to be with you, to be there with you, you're with us, and you are with us all the way. And I want to thank you again for the fifth time in nine years <laughs> to the voters of Calgary Southwest for returning me to the House of Commons and, and for giving me the honor not only of representing the riding of following in the footsteps of Preston Manning and
and of representing this incredible city in the Parliament of Canada. One interesting part of this election win was that Harper became the first Prime Minister to be elected while wearing glasses full-time. Other Prime Ministers, such as Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien, Brian Mulroney, Pierre Trudeau, Lester B. Pearson, and John Diefenbaker did wear glasses, but only to read. The NDP finished with its most seats in the history of the party when it surged ahead with a 67-seat gain that earned the party 103 seats in the House of Commons, making it the official opposition for the first time. This was the first time a non-liberal or conservative party was not the official opposition since the Bloc Québécois in 1993. The NDP would have representatives in eight provinces, and even though it elected no one in Saskatchewan, it still had one-third of the vote there. Leighton would state upon his party's result, quote, For the first time in our history, Canadians have asked us to serve as the official opposition. We're going to work very hard, each and every day to earn the trust the Canadians have placed in us. I want to say placed in us. I want to say that I've always favoured proposition over opposition. End quote. Where the Conservatives didn't triumph, the NDP did, and no more so than in Quebec. The party got 43% of the vote in the province, leading, leaving every other party in the dust. So why? What drove the sudden fervent affection for a party that's been around half a century? And will it last? Adrian Arsenault went to find out. They fell hard and fast in Quebec. And what may have started as just a few stirrings of emotion for the cane-waving stamina and that charm became full-blown Jack Layton fandom in this moment. Jack Layton. His appearance on one of Quebec's highest-rated shows, Tout le monde en part. It's a star machine, and Layton was considered funny and frank, his French good. He disarmed a province that until now had passed his party by. I'm doing all this for my granddaughter, he said. Monsieur Jack Layton! The courtship was complete, and an English-Canada-based leader of a Federalist party brazenly grabbed crowds right on the block doorsteps. And so the orange wave, the orange flood, the orange crush. This is like what happened in Quebec last night. They fell for his positive side, you know, like he said, you know, like, yes, I smile. And I think people liked it. I overcame cancer. This is also very yeah, popular. You know, like, I'm sorry to say it, but all this, people sort of sympathize with Jack Layton. Lisa Frilla and Marie Gregoire, former parliamentarians, part of a show called Le Club des Ex, where talk of Jack Layton's fortunes carried them incredulously through the day. Old staples carried Montrealers through election night. This is Poutine Jacko, potentially now a big sub. After yesterday? I hope so. <laughs> Substance on matters of social programs and constitutional talks is what the faithful here say helped sell Quebec on Leighton. Substance, not charisma. But I think that the NPD uh, represented more the opinion of the youth. The NDP do sound a bit like uh, the Bloc Québécois at times. And so that probably made it easier for the transition. But the realization is dawning now that some of these new NDP MPs are rather green for this orange wave. Some criticized for not speaking French, for not ever having actual jobs, not even being in the riding during the campaign. Very new. Some people think I'm too young. Some people laugh. But it's, when they talk to me, they realize that I'm intelligent. I have vision for the future. So can the affection last? 
The novelty could soon wear off, and that's where the NDP knows it needs to be careful here. This is a province with a history of political mood swings, and as loyal as people can seem now, the voters of Quebec can turn fast. The Liberals would suffer a total collapse, losing 43 seats to finish with 34, the lowest total the party has ever had in its history going back to 1867. Ignatieff would announce he would resign as leader following the election after losing his own seat. This would open the door for a new person to come in and lead the party into the next election, and this person had some major name recognition, Justin Trudeau. Upon his resignation, Ignatieff would state, quote, The life that I like the best is teaching. It's the end of my life as a politician. End quote. The Bloc Québécois had its worst election after it lost 43 seats, finishing with only four. Gilles Duceppe would lose his seat as well as the NDP surged ahead in Quebec with the Orange Wave. The loss also resulted in the Bloc losing its official party status. Duceppe would resign as leader soon after the election, but he would return as leader just prior to the 2015 election. The Greens would win their first seat in an election when Elizabeth May won in her BC riding. May would say, quote, Today we prove that Canadians want change in politics. I stand here today as the first elected Green member in Canadian history. End quote. As usual, the Conservatives dominated in Alberta, winning 27 of 28 seats and 13 of 14 in Saskatchewan. The party also picked up 11 of 14 seats in Manitoba. In Ontario, the Conservatives picked up 73 seats to the 22 won by the New Democratic Party, while the Liberals won only 11. In Quebec, the NDP came out of nowhere to win 59 seats, while the Conservatives would win only 5 and the Bloc Québécois won 4. The seat total for the NDP in Quebec was so surprising as the party had only ever elected two candidates there. Through the Maritimes, the votes were split between the Conservatives, Liberals and NDP. The election would see 7 incumbents for the Conservatives lose, while 82 incumbents, mostly Liberals and Bloc Québécois, would lose their re-election bid. Only a few months after leading the NDP to its greatest triumph, Jack Layton would take a leave of absence after being diagnosed with cancer. On August 22, 2011, he would pass away, and he was given a state funeral. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at the 2011 election. Tomorrow, we're looking at the 2015 election. We're almost done, folks. It's been a long road. 36 days of every day making a podcast episode about an election. And I thank you all for the kind words that you've emailed me and told me that you're enjoying the series because I've really enjoyed making it. And of course, if you really enjoy it, consider sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere to help get the word out. Or if you really, really like it, consider giving a donation. Any amount helps. I do this full time, so every dollar goes straight to me and keeps it all going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, 
Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's, Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Dynasties and Interludes, Ottawa Citizen, and the CBC. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.